Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I've got some stuff to share with y'all this morning that I am thoroughly excited about. And I'm here to tell you, God wants you to know about this. And the devil does not want you to know about this. And I'll tell you how I know. It's because I woke up this morning with a migraine and got a great night's sleep last night and woke up this morning. And all I have wanted to do is sleep and go to bed and cry and sleep and go to bed. Well, not cry, but just sleep and go to bed. But I'm here to tell you what what I want to share with you. The Lord put it into my heart this week, and I really believe that it's for some people in this room today. I really believe that it's for people who are watching us online this morning. Um, I'm I'm going to preach an interesting message to you today. And uh, matter of fact, I want you to turn to two different passages this morning. The first one is Colossians chapter 1, and the second one is Genesis chapter 3. And as you're turning to those scriptures or as you're finding them on your phone or your device or whatever it is you use to read the scripture, uh, let's, let's make our confession of faith as you're turning there. You'll see it on our screen. It's one of my favorite things to do. One of my favorite things to lead you in is this confession of faith. I'm going to switch because this microphone sounds terrible. There we go. That was feeding back a little bit. That was kind of bothering me. As you're turning to Colossians chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3, let's make our confession of faith together. You'll see it on the screen. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Amen. You believe you're growing this morning? I do. Amen. This is going to be a fun service. Colossians chapter 1 in verse 12 says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. It's a mouthful. Let me read it to you one more time. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Everybody say qualified. Turn to your neighbor say, you're qualified. Who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And then look over at Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read this passage beginning in verse 1 and down through verse 11. I'm reading in the New Living Translation here. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say to you, You must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. He won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. 
She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? It's an interesting two verses to bring together, and you might be wondering why, but I think it'll make sense here in just a couple of minutes. I want to preach to you today a sermon that the Lord gave me back in 2015, and I've only preached it one time. This will be the second time I'm sharing it. But it has a little bit of an odd title. It comes from that last verse. The title of the message today is, Who Told You That You Were Naked? Who Told You? that you were naked. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity that we've been given to come before your word and receive. Lord, I ask that you would grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would understand and com- comprehend those things that you want us to learn and, and, and receive from you today. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have access to our hearts this morning to speak to us, to correct us, change us, to inspire us, encourage us, and strengthen us today. I thank you, God, that your voice is still speaking and that we're here to listen and hear from you today. We give you thanksgiving in advance in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. I'm just going to jump right into it this morning. Who told you you were naked? Who told you You were naked. Let me put it this way. What lie of shame has been living in your head rent-free for who knows how long? What lie of shame has been living in your head rent-free for way too long? I'm here to announce to you shame has to end today in your life in Jesus' name. Amen? If you're breathing, say amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We know the story, okay? We, we, most of us that, that have been around church for some length of time know the story of the Garden of Eden. But for those who don't, let me give it to you very quickly in a few bite-sized statements. We know this, but again, for those who don't, here's what happened. God created the world. He made man, that is mankind, Adam and Eve. He put them in a garden. He makes man perfect and sinless, living in the presence of the Lord every single day. Man disobeys God and sins, plunging all of future humanity into sin. He forfeits the glory of the Lord, which is what clothed him. And he dies spiritually. And at the end of that is left defenseless, naked, and ashamed. So now when God comes to find Adam, we just read it from Genesis chapter 3. When God comes to find Adam, he asks Adam a question that he never intended to ask anyone in humanity. Who told you that you're naked? 
You see, this is what sin does to us. I'm going to get a little heavy-handed at the beginning, but it's going to get real better. Okay? Real gooder. This is what sin does to humanity. It creates a schism. It creates a separation. It creates a void and a gap between God's perfect and you know perfect plan and his very best for us, between he himself and us. There is distance that sin creates in the hearts of people. This is what happened to Adam. And of course, as a result, his natural recoiling response is shame. Now, it's appropriate for Adam. It's appropriate for Adam. Uh, He can only respond to God's question with an answer that's steeped in shame. Why? Because this is something that was completely new to him. I want you to think, just take a moment and think about what it must have been like to be Adam and Eve. Okay? The only thing you've ever known is God's presence and the Garden of Eden. I mean, if you've ever figured this out or thought about this, Adam had no childhood. He didn't grow up. Well, when I was young, no, he was never young. He was just, he was, he was there. Can you imagine being Adam that the first thing that you see is the face of God? That's wild. The Bible says that God created man from the dust of the ground, and after he had formed him out of the dust of the ground, he breathed the breath of life into him. The Hebrew is very specific. He, he whoosh, right into Adam, mouth to mouth. So as soon as Adam's eyes popped open, there's the face of God. It's all he's ever known is the perfection of Eden and the perfect relationship with God. So of course... This experience leaves Adam very stunned. I believe that in the moment Adam sinned, it was such a contrast to everything that he'd ever experienced that it's no wonder that when God approaches him now having sinned, he recoils. God bless you. Did you ever have somebody... (laughs) Do you, you ever have somebody walk in on you when you're trying to get changed? Anybody speak English in here? Okay, just making sure. Do you, 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 you ever have anybody like walk in on you while you're trying to like get changed? That's why there's locks on doors in public restrooms, right? What happens? You recoil. That's what Adam does when God comes to him. He recoils. Why? Because he he lost, because of sin, he lost the covering of God's glory. And so now he's forced to try to cover himself. It's wild to think about. He lost the covering. You know, you were never supposed to be created without a covering over your life. You're, You're not created to cover yourself. God wants to cover you. He wants to, the the Bible talks about Jehovah Nissi, who is our banner of victory. God wants to cover your life in victory. The scripture talks over and over and over again about how the Lord is, he uses words like he's our shield. He's our strong tower. He's the one we run into and we're safe. You're not supposed to be your own defense system. 
But Adam, because of this sin, because of this immediate isolation uh, that sin creates, this whole new enemy comes into the picture, and that's the enemy of shame. And now Adam has to recoil at the presence of God. He lost the covering of God's glory, so now he's got to find a new way to cover himself. Adam's sin disqualifies him from God's glory and from God's intended plan. And now Adam's forced to identify with something he was never created to deal with, and that's sin and shame. Why don't you think about this for just a minute? Here's Adam. If we were to back up a few verses in the last chapter, you could go see in, in chapter one of Genesis, the Bible says, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the birds of the air and over the fish of the sea and yada, yada, yada. So here's this guy that's made literally in God's image and God designed every living thing to reproduce after its own kind. So Adam's really created a problem now because Adam is made in the image of God and just like all the other things that have life in them, just like all the other living things, he's been created to reproduce after his own kind. So now Adam has this new shame and sin identity that he's received from from his sin and now he's going to pass that identity on to every human being that comes after him. Because God specifically, I mean, you can go read about it. Genesis is very articulate. God specifically created Adam and created every living thing to be able to reproduce after itself. So once Adam became tainted with sin and filled with shame, every other human being that comes from Adam is tainted with sin and filled with shame. Now, again, it's a little challenging at the beginning, but it's going to get better. The whole system gets infected by sin. The trees, the soil, the clouds, the mountains, the atmosphere itself is infected with the curse of sin. But creation was never meant to be cursed by sin. And humanity was never designed to carry around a shame identity. It's not God's design. God made Adam in perfection and he designed him to stay in perfection in perpetuity, generation after generation after generation. The the original intention was to live in the presence of God as human beings all the time. That's why when you're a Christian and you get saved, worship feels so much at home. It's because it's the environment you were created for. Amen. It's the environment you were created for. So we got a problem here. Adam screws all this up, and what does he do? He disqualifies himself for the glory of the Lord. He disqualifies himself and everybody coming after him for the intention that God had originally planned. And it's, it's interesting to me, this question of, of who told you you were naked. It's like, I, as I hear it, I almost hear the disappointment and the frustration and the sadness in God's question to Adam. Who told you you were naked? Where did you get this new information from? What what happened, Adam? Yesterday, we were walking together. 
Yesterday, we were in perfect fellowship and communion together. What happened? The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that from that moment of original sin, the Bible says death reigned over the earth. Death was in charge now. Sin and death and disease and fear and shame and sickness and everything that we don't like became the new boss. Death reigned, according to Romans, from then all the way up until the moment of Calvary. But at Calvary, God put his foot down. On the cross, Jesus changed everything. Amen. I like to think of it this way. It started with a tree and it ended with a tree. It started with the tree. Adam took from the tree. He received from the tree he wasn't supposed to eat from. And sin began at a tree. But praise God, when God put his foot down, the effects of sin ended with the tree as well. Jesus hung on a cross on Calvary's hill. We call it the tree, the cross where he died. Jesus changed everything. Adam disqualified us for God's glory. Enter Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. You're not supposed to be living with all kinds of shame haunting everything that you do because Jesus... Yeah, Adam disqualified you, but Jesus perfectly qualified you. In the same way that Adam's sin disqualified him from what God had prepared for him, Jesus' perfect sacrifice has qualified us for everything that God has prepared for us. You're not naked anymore. You're not naked anymore. I, I, I... I was trying to think of a good illustration for this and a good story that I could, like what, a good story about qualification. And so I had to go back in the archives in my mind. When, when Claire and Abigail were very little, in fact, it was the year before, it was the summer before we planted this church. Abigail was like two months old and Claire was like a little over a year and a half old or two years old. And we went to Disney World. And, and we had a, a wonderful time in Disney World. And, and we went on this is the second or third day that we were there. We went to MGM Studios. What was then MGM Studios, now it's Hollywood Studios. And back then, they had this attraction called the American Idol Experience. Uh, did anybody actually watch American Idol? Yeah? A couple of you. Good. Smart ones. Still watching. It's still on, isn't it? Yeah, it's still on. It was like a major deal back then. So big that Disney had this theater. They now do it a frozen experience. Uh, <laughs> my kids are not here to see me trash frozen. But um, they had this American Idol experience, and my family talked me into it. 
I didn't want to do this. Let me be honest with you. I didn't want to do this. But what it was, was it was a studio, or it was a theater, excuse me, with a couple thousand seats in it, and the stage had been rebuilt to the exact same specification as the American Idol stage. And it was like the music and the lights and everything, the ha, you know, like the American Idol music was there. And like, and you had to go, and, 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 and what they would do is they would take applications from people. If you were in the park and you wanted to sing and compete, you could compete. So my family talked me into competing. And I'll never forget it because at first I didn't want to do it, but as soon as I did it, I started having fun. <laughs> and I sang, I sang uh, Superstition by Stevie Wonder and absolutely laid it down. I'm going to be honest with you. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic. I, w- I wanted to find the video to show you because it was great. They, I mean, they had a panel of three judges, one British guy named Simon and, and two other people, and they made fun of my clothes. But they were like, man... They complimented me. I did a good job. So I won the first round. I got invited to come back that evening to compete in the finale. And I crushed it again. I'm going to be honest with you. It was fantastic. I killed it. The only reason I didn't get, the only reason I didn't come in first place was because I was actually too old. But the way the program worked, so I lost to this younger girl, but, but the way the program worked was this. Whoever won the finale for that day got pre-qualified to go to the actual American Idol studio in New York and skip the line and go right in to see Simon Cowell and Paul Abdul and um, and, uh, Randy Jackson. And so I thought, that's actually a pretty good example. If you, if you want American Idol in Disney World, you, you got qualified to skip and bypass the line. You move right to the front of the line, and you get to go sing for Simon Cowell himself. And as, as I was thinking about it, I was like, that, that's, that analogy works. Jesus has qualified you. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to pay the penalty for your own sins. You don't have to go to the cross for yourself. You don't have to go to hell and suffer for yourself. You don't have to bear the weight of your own sin. You don't have to carry the shame that comes with the sin that Adam uh, transgressed in. He disqualified you. Jesus has qualified you. Welcome to the front of the line. Welcome to the front of the line. It's good to have you. Amen. Guess what? You're God's favorite. You're God's favorite. What about my neighbor? Well, he's God's favorite too. We're all God's favorite. Welcome to the front of the line. There is no line. So the Bible says in Christ, there's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's, no, there's not a special ranking system for people who are better than people who are not as good. Amen. There is no shame in the presence of the Lord because Jesus has qualified us in every way and in every shape that the enemy, or excuse me, that Adam has disqualified us. So I got a question for you this morning. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? Yeah. Who told you you were naked? God told me I was his son, but the devil told me I was naked. God told me I was free, but the devil told me I was naked. God told me I was healed, but the devil told me I was naked. God told me I was righteous, but the enemy told me I was naked. God said I was filled with his spirit, but the devil told me that I was naked. God said that I'd been given a sound mind, but the devil told me I was naked. The Lord told me I was blessed, but the devil told me I was naked. 
How long have you been living with shame? How long have you been living with just dragging around this shame, this, this poor mindset, this idea that I'm not who God says that I'm supposed to be? That somehow this idea has infiltrated our mind that what Jesus did for us was not enough. Who told you you were naked? What shame has crept into our minds and lied unnoticed and dormant, convincing us that we don't qualify for God's best? has nothing to do with your works. has nothing to do with what you did and didn't do. has nothing to do with what you did say and didn't say. has nothing to do with what she did to you, what he did to you. It has nothing to do with anything that anybody has said or done, including you. has everything to do with Jesus on, heaven, on Calvary's cross. Hallelujah. Shame is not supposed to be your attitude. Shame is not supposed to be, people run around and say, well, shame on you. That's demonic. It's not shame on you, it's shame off you. Amen. Now I understand. The Bible's clear in Romans, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody came to the table with tons of shame. You came to the table naked. But once you met Jesus, guess what? You're covered, you're not naked anymore. The book of Revelation says that he gives us a robe of righteousness, white robes of righteousness, so that our shame is no longer visible. It's Revelation chapter 3. Look it up. It'll bless you. You're covered. You're clothed with the glory of God again. You've become a qualified candidate for God's best again. You're at the front of the line. Who told you you were naked? You see, boldness, not shame, is the attitude of the believer. The Bible says that the wicked flee when nobody's chasing them. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. I just think that's just one of the funniest scriptures in the whole Bible. The wicked flee when nobody's chasing them. Can you imagine? Like, how stupid? Where are you going, man? Somebody's going to get me. Brother, ain't nobody following you. The wicked, the wicked, they flee when nobody's chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as lions. What do you mean to tell me that I'm not who God said I am? According to the word, I'm redeemed. According to, according to what the Bible says, the blood of Jesus has washed me clean. I can stand before God. Hebrews chapter four tells me that I get to go boldly into the throne of grace and receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. Jesus gave me the right. He qualified me to stand before Almighty God. I'm going to pray at you. Pray, uh, pray at you, yeah, right. I'm going to pray over you at the end of this. I'm going to pray for you. And, and, and we're going to unload the shame today, and we're going to leave it at the altar. Can we do that this morning? We're going to unload the shame today. Now, I want to help you to identify in the last 10 minutes or so. I want to help you to identify if you're dealing with shame. How do I know that shame is holding me back? How do I know, Pastor Josh, that shame is holding me back? I'm going to give you four points. Number one, if you have guilt, 
but no repentance. Let's just think about this for a second. Everybody feels guilty from time to time. Everybody has to deal with condemnation thoughts. You know, Romans, the, Romans chapter 8 tells us there's no condemnation in Christ, but that doesn't mean the enemy's not going to try to condemn you once in a while. So don't entertain those thoughts. But number one, how, how do I know that I'm dealing with shame? If you have guilt, but no repentance. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we won't go there for time, but you can look it up later. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 says this. It says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. So how can you tell when God is trying to convict your heart versus when the enemy is trying to condemn your mind? Are y'all with me this morning? How can you tell the difference between God convicting your heart and the enemy condemning your mind? One of them leads you to the pit and the other one leads you to repentance. So if you have guilt in your heart or guilt in your mind, if there's something weighing on you that's not leading you to your knees to repentance, throw it out. It's shame. If you're being overcome with guilt and it's not leading you there to repent before the Lord, then toss it out because you're actually dealing with the spirit of shame. And in the process, can I say something else here along this line? Beware of pride. Just beware of pride, especially in this first point. Pride and shame are best friends. Peanut butter and jelly in a turd sandwich. <laughs> Just had to get your attention again, get you back. It's getting warm in here. Pride, pride and shame are best friends, man, because here's the thing. Pride will lead you into shame, and then it'll hold you there. It'll keep you there. Because just about the moment you want to get free and you want to confess and you want to go before the Lord, pride will convince you that you shouldn't or you can't. Pride will lead you into shame, and it will pin you and keep you trapped in shame. You'll try to repent. You'll want to repent, but your pride won't let you. Ouch. How do I know if I'm dealing with shame? Number one, you have guilt but no repentance. Number two, you're trying to fix the problem yourself. You're trying to fix the problem yourself. If you were to go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, you would see that when the voice of the Lord came in to the garden, right after Adam and Eve had, had uh, eaten, what's the first thing the Bible says that they did? They realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. If you're trying to fix your own problems, you're in shame. You're dealing with shame. You cannot repair what the blood of Jesus was designed to eliminate from your life. You can't, you can't church it up. You can't bandage it. You can't paint over it. It's going to eat your lunch. Amen. If you could fix you, Jesus died in vain. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible is very, very clear. Paul talks about this multiple places in the New Testament. If you could fix you, Jesus died in vain. He wouldn't have needed to die. If you're trying to fix issues in your life, there's shame afoot. 
Number three, how do I know that I'm dealing with shame? Number three, if you become more aware of your sin than of Jesus' gift of forgiveness. If you become more aware of the sinfulness. Oh God, I just feel so, I feel so burdened. I've done this. Guys, I've done this. I've so many times in my life, so many times in my life, fall across the bed and weep and cry. Oh God, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Oh God, I've failed you again. What is that? That's just shame talking. That's just shame talking. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10, there's a beautiful passage there. He says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of unrighteousness. If you're carrying around this weight of unrighteousness to the point that you become more aware of your sin than you are aware of God's forgiveness, there's shame. Deal with it. Amen. Deal with that. I mean, just, just don't try to hide from it. Just deal with it. Oh, Lord, you know what? There's shame in my life. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, it's comparing the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's comparing the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It says that under the Old Covenant, without Jesus, when they just had to rely on the blood of bulls and goats, and, and when they had to rely on the law of Moses for their salvation, the Scripture says that there was a perpetual consciousness of sin. They could never actually get, I mean, they got their sins covered by the blood of a bull for the year, but then next year they got to go back and we got to kill another bull and we got to sacrifice and we gotta, we're going to be fully aware of our sin again for a whole nother year. They could never get free of it. They could never get their consciousness cleaned. In other words, without Jesus, stuff hangs over your head. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to recoil in shame anymore. You're free. Whom the, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You got a new identity. You gotta, you gotta, you're part of a new family. How do I know if I'm dealing with shame? Number one, if you have guilt but no repentance. Number two, if you're trying to fix the problem yourself. Number three, if you've become more aware of your sin than of Jesus' gift of forgiveness. And number four, if you're hiding from or holding back in the presence of the Lord. Genesis 3, again, what happens? They hide from God's presence. They hide from his presence. They hear the sound. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be Adam and Eve? Oh, to be a fly on the wall in the Garden of Eden. Here comes God coming through the garden and they can hear him before he gets there. They can sense his presence and his nearness. And the first thing that they do is to withdraw. If you're hiding from the presence of God, I'm here to tell you it's shame that's keeping you out. Or, for all of us really good, well-versed, well-practiced Christians, if you're holding back when you are in the presence of God, there's some shame somewhere to deal with. As the, as the, as the people of God, we ought to be able to come before the throne of God and come into the presence of God with so much freedom and so much liberty that there's not an ounce of shame that would hold us back. When you fall into sin, you don't run from the presence of Jesus. You're supposed to run to the presence of Jesus. When you fall in sin, you don't run away from church. 
Go to church. Go get back in the presence of God. Go get back in the company of the saints. Go get back around people that love you. Go get back near where the Lord is manifesting. You say, how do I deal with this, Pastor? How do I deal with this? I got shame in my life. First of all, before I answer my own question, let me say this. If you're dealing with shame in your life in any area, welcome to the club. Congratulations on being a human being. Everybody at some point in time, at some point in their life, has dealt with and carried the weight of the shame of sin, the shame of our past, the, the shame of, of what we did or what we didn't do, the, sh- the shame of what we said or what we could have said but didn't. I've done this way too much, than I, more than I even care to admit in my own life. It's carried around shame. So how do I get out of this, Pastor? I'm trying to fix the problem myself. I'm running from the presence of God. I have, I have all this guilt, but I have no repentance. How do I fix it? Very simple. Number one, you need God's word. Amen? You need God's word. You need the word of God to come and go right to the heart of the issue. We won't go there again for time's sake, but the scripture says in, in Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is living and it's powerful. And it goes right to the issue. It's like a sharpened, it's like a scalpel. God's word is able to penetrate right to the issue of your life. Three verses later, it says that we come boldly before the throne of grace. Secondly, you need to trust that what God's got for you is way better than what you can do for yourself. Amen. Listen, can I tell you something? It's way better to be clothed in glory than to be clothed in fig leaves. It's way better to submit to God's best than to try to manufacture your best. So how do I get out of this shame, Pastor? You need God's word. You need to trust that God's, what God's got for you is better than what you got for yourself. And then number three, you need accountability. You need accountability. This is a big one. You need accountability. Can I tell you something? As long as you stay isolated, you'll always lose the battle. Can I tell you the only person in history that didn't lose the battle when he was alone was Jesus? Everybody else that isolated, you go look at it in scripture. Peter got alone, denied Jesus in front of a teenage girl. I'm telling you, every time that you look at someone in the scripture and they're isolated, they're, they're in a bad place. Remember we, we read about Elijah a couple weeks ago? How he had to he rest, he laid under the broom tree and the angels came and fed him. You remember that in our series on rest? What did he do? He isolated himself. Scripture says he left, he left his servant and he went out a day's journey into the wilderness. Can I ask you a question? What's the only thing that God said about creation that wasn't good? It's not good for man to be alone. God got to the end of his creation, looked at literally everything he had made in the universe and said, that's good. And then he said, that's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. 
You are not created to live in isolation. And, and here's the thing about shame. That's the first place it drives you to is isolation. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, it says that the foolish or, or man who's filled with folly seeks isolation and rages against all sound wisdom. You are not meant to do life alone, man. Don't leave here today. Look at me in my eyes. Don't leave here today without some accountability. There are people here that, that want to walk with you through life and stand with you. Please, please don't do life alone. Don't allow yourself to fall into isolation. You need accountability. I'm going to pray for you here in just a second. And, and I thought about just praying for people and just letting them stay in their seats. And then I thought, no, that's not good enough. I, I, in just a second, I want to open the altar up and I want you to come and if you, if you feel like you're dealing with shame, I want you to come and let's unload it together. I'm going to pray over you. And you're, if you came in here broken, you're going to leave free. Do you hear me? If you came in here broken, you're going to leave free in Jesus' name. If you came bound up by shame, you're going to leave free today in Jesus' name. How do you know? I prophesy it in the name of Jesus because the word of God said so. As we close, I want you to see the power and the potency of this huge exchange. I told you that Adam disqualified us. Jesus qualified us. Listen to this statement. Adam disobeyed God, forfeited God's glory, and became naked. Jesus obeyed God, died on a cross, naked and recaptured the glory of God. He went to the exact place where Adam blew it and he fixed it. The first thing that Jesus took for you before he took your sins, before he took the stripes on his back, you can go, you can go read about it. Before he, before he was beaten for your, for your healing, before, the, before he died and became the sacrifice for your sins, the first thing they did to him is they stripped him naked. They stripped him naked. Before they beat him, I mean, it was like the very first thing that they did to Jesus in this whole process of the crucifixion. They stripped him naked. They exposed him. The first thing he took was your shame. Jesus hung on a cross naked so that you could be clothed in the glory of God once again. I don't know how that strikes you. That absolutely tenderizes my heart. To think that Jesus would, would put himself right in the exact same position Adam put himself in. Only he didn't fail. He succeeded. He purchased our freedom. And he purchased a life for us where we never have to feel the shame of sin ever again. Believe that this morning? I want you to stand up to your feet. I want the worship team to come. We're going to
They're going to lead us. And I, I'm, I'm going to make the altar open in just a moment for anybody who wants to come and just unload some shame. And here's the beautiful thing. As you come this morning, if you're dealing with shame this morning, you have nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> Let me say that again, just so that everybody gets it. If you're dealing with shame this morning, you've got nothing to be ashamed of. Because every single last one of us have felt it in our lives. And I'm here to tell you that there's freedom. If you'll just simply let the Lord take that shame out of your life. If you'll just submit it to him and give it to him the same way you give everything else to the Lord. Just the same way you gave Jesus your heart. If you'll give him your shame, he'll take it and you'll be free. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.